Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and I want you to go to two different places with me. First of all, we're going to start in Luke chapter 19. So if you would please go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. But then after we look at Luke chapter 19, I want you to be ready to go with me to the book of Joshua, chapters 3 and 4. We're going to begin today in Luke chapter 19, where we read about what this day is all about, where we read about that first Palm Sunday. We read about the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And as he is preparing to enter into the city, he looks at a couple of his disciples and he says, I want you to go into the village ahead of me. And when you get to that village, you're going to find a colt. You're going to find a donkey that is tied up there. He said, I want you to get that donkey and I want you to bring it back to me. And if the owner of that donkey sees you taking the donkey and asks you, what are you doing? Just say to him, the Lord needs this donkey. And they go to get the donkey, they untie it. Sure enough, the owner sees them and says, what are you doing with my donkey? And they said, the Lord needs it. And there was no resistance, no arguing. They simply took the donkey and took it back to Jesus. And when they got it back to Jesus, they took their coats off and they put it on the donkey. The disciples did, put their coats on the donkey and then put Jesus on the donkey. And on this donkey, he would ride into the city of Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that said that our king, that our Messiah would enter into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. So he is fulfilling prophecy. And we pick up the story here in verse 37 where it says that when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Up until this point, Jesus has pretty much kept his identity concealed because it was not yet time for him to be revealed as Messiah as son of God. Anytime he did a miracle up until this point, he would say, don't tell anybody who did this for you today because it was not yet his time for his identity to be revealed. But now it is no longer concealed. Now they are publicly praising and declaring who Jesus is. Matthew says it like this in his account of this story. He said that the people began shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke tells us this in verse 38 that they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then notice what happened. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples, to which Jesus responded and said, I tell you, 
that if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I want to talk to you this morning on this subject. If rocks could talk. I know I've got a little bit of a twisted mind. But I think about things like this. That he said that if they remain quiet, that the rocks would cry out. And so I immediately begin to think if rocks could talk, what would rocks say? Go with me now to the book of Joshua, chapter 4. But before we read the first seven verses of Joshua chapter 4, let me just give you a little bit of background as to what's going on in Joshua chapter 3. The nation of Israel has been a wandering nation. They have been a, a nation of nomads for the past 40 years. They've been wandering in the wilderness with no place to call home. All that they have as they're wandering in the wilderness is a promise of an inheritance. They, they have a promise of a land. They have a promise of a home that they are headed to, but they haven't gotten there yet. They're still wandering in the wilderness. But in Joshua chapter 3, we're discovering here that this will be the last night that they will spend on the wilderness side of the Jordan River. That God is preparing them to cross over into their promised land. That God is preparing them to receive the inheritance that he had promised them. The problem is between where they are and where God is taking them, there is a river. It's called the Jordan River. And so God gives Joshua in chapter 3, he gives him some very specific directions. First of all, he says, send your men out through the camp and tell them, don't you go anywhere, don't you move until you see the Ark of the Covenant move. And then once you see the Ark of the Covenant, which was symbolic of the presence of God, he said, once you see the Ark of the Covenant moving, then you follow along about a thousand yards behind the Ark of the Covenant. But let the presence of God lead the way. Aren't you thankful today that God still leads the way for us? That he's been where we're going. Amen. And then he tells them this. He said, tell the people to consecrate themselves because tomorrow you're going to cross over. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. He said, first of all, I want you to make sure that you've got the priest ready, that when the time comes, that they're ready to take up the Ark of the Covenant and move forward. And then he says, I want you to choose 12 men from among the 12 tribes of Israel. But he doesn't tell us until we get to chapter 4 what those 12 men were supposed to do. And he said that the priest, when they take up the Ark of God, he said, when they come to the edge of the Jordan, he said, they're not to stop at the edge. Now, understand something about the Jordan at this time of year. It's springtime, so the Jordan is overflowing its banks. All the rivers or all the mountains that had snow caps on them have melted, and all of that water is now flowing toward the Red Sea through the Jordan River. And because of that, the Jordan is overflowing. What, what is usually about a thousand feet, about, about a thousand feet wide is now about a mile wide. And Joshua tells the priest carrying the ark of God, 
that when you get to the edge of the water, don't stop there. Go and stand in the middle of the Jordan. And the priest carrying the ark of God do exactly that. Now, I know what some of us would do. We'd probably get to the edge of the water. And we would think, man, this water's flowing too fast. This water's too deep. This thing's too wide. But they trusted God, and they didn't stop at the edge, but they took the ark of the covenant of God right out into the middle of the water. And then notice as we get to chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, it says that when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, that the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. Now let me remind you that the moment that those priests carrying the ark of God, the moment that they stepped foot, the moment that they got into the middle of that river, God worked a supernatural miracle so that the waters north of them heaped up in a pile. Now think about that. That God completely stopped the flow of water in that Jordan River. That north of them, the waters heaped up, and south of them, everything continued to flow into the Dead Sea until that riverbed was empty and dry so that the children of Israel could cross through on dry ground. This is not the first time God's done something like this for them. You remember back at the Red Sea. But, but, but Joshua tells us that once they had all crossed over, he said, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them. He said, here's what those 12 men are supposed to do. Tell them to take up 12 stones. Everybody say stones. Take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. So these are not small stones. These are, these are big stones that they're carrying. According to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, 12 stones. He said, these stones are to serve as a sign among you. Remember that. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Because how many of you know stones in the Bible have a sermon to preach? They have a story to tell. And he said, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones, he said, are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Luke chapter 19, Jesus is making his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Joshua chapter 3 and 4, the nation of Israel is making an entrance of their own into the promised land. And in both of these stories, we hear about stones. Jesus said that if my people, if, if they remain silent, the stones will cry out. And then in this story that we just read, the stones will cry out. But what will they say? 
And, 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 and that's what I got to thinking about this week. Now, I've already had church. I've already preached this thing to myself a few times. And I've already had church a few times with this message. But listen to me today. If rocks could talk, here's the first thing I think they would do. I think if rocks could talk, they would testify. Because, because listen to what that scripture says here in Joshua chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Each of you, he said, is to take a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. And he said that those stones are to serve as a sign among you. you another way you could say it is this. Those stones are to serve as a witness among you. Well, what do witnesses do? Witnesses testify, don't they? Anybody ever been called on to testify in a court of law? And when you testify in a court of law, what do they ask you? What did you see? What did you experience? And again, I got to thinking this past week that if these stones in Joshua chapter 4, if they could testify, if they could witness, what would they say? Let's just say we decided to interview them. And we were to talk to these stones and ask them the question, hey, what did you see that day that the nation of Israel was crossing the Jordan River going into their inheritance? And I can just hear some of those stones right now saying, well, I'll tell you what I saw. I was just out there in the middle of that river minding my own business. When all of a sudden I looked up and I saw hundreds, no, thousands, no, 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 tens of thousands, no, 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 hundreds of thousands. He said, I saw a number of people that numbered in the millions coming up to the side of that bank. And, and, and all of a sudden, emerging out of that big crowd was these men dressed in fancy clothes carrying a big gold box. And they didn't just stop when they got to the edge of the river, even though the river was raging. They continued to walk until they were out in the middle of the water. And, 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 and I saw this, these rocks would say, I saw this with my own eyes. And when those priests got out there in the middle of that water with that gold box, all of the sudden, we were exposed that water that had flowed over us, that water that had covered us, heaped up somewhere and stopped flowing until there wasn't any water left and we were left naked and exposed. And he said, if that wasn't enough, all of a sudden all these people just come a trampling all over us. Walking from one side of that bank to the other side. But that wasn't even enough. After they had crossed, 12 men came back and started picking some of us up and taking them with us and took us to a place only God knows where. Took us to a place and piled us up. And I just want to tell you right now, for some of them, it was a little bit too close to comfort how close I was to some of them other rocks. And they piled, they piled us up And then they begin to talk about all of these things 
These people we heard, they, they, were, they were talking about all these things that, that, that God had done for them. And I believe that if we could interview and hear those rocks testify today, that they would say, yep, yep, we can testify that he's a God who can make a way where it seems like there is no way. I would love to be able to interview the rock at Horeb when the nation of Israel had gone days without anything to eat and without anything to drink. And they were thirsty. And you know folks, especially church folk, when they get hungry and when they get thirsty, they ain't nice folks to be around. They gripe and they complain. And if we could talk to that rock, he said, I saw all these people walking up. He said they were griping and complaining and they were really mad at this one guy, this guy by the name of Moses. And they were talking about how hungry and how thirsty they were. And that rocket horde would say, you know what? Before I knew it, that man they were talking about had this big stick in his hand. And all of a sudden, man, he just hit me real good with that stick. And water started coming out of me. Water that I didn't even know was inside of me started coming out of me. Enough water that every one of those people had enough to drink. And after they had drank everything they wanted to drink, there was still a river that was flowing down through that wilderness. You see, if rocks could talk, they would testify. I I think about in the New Testament... I think about a woman that's caught right smack dab in the very middle of committing adultery. Folks show up right in the middle of her committing adultery. They grab her without even giving her time to put her clothes on. And they bring her out into the public, these Pharisees, these religious folk, and they throw her down at the feet of Jesus. And these religious folk, if we, if we could hear rocks testify today, because every one of those religious folks showed up to this encounter with rocks in their hand. And they, they, they said to Jesus, Jesus, the law says that this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, who's committed adultery, the law says that she's to die by stoning. And so we got our stone. And, 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 and don't you know if those rocks could testify, they would say, yep, we were there. We saw her. We saw her brought out of that house. We saw her thrown on the dirt. We saw. We we were right there in the hands of her accusers watching everything. But they also said we we were also there and witness to the the fact that, that at that moment Jesus got down on one knee and he began with his finger to ride in the dirt. And, And I believe that if we could interview those rocks, they could tell us what Jesus wrote in the dirt. We don't know. We're left to wonder what Jesus was writing in the dirt. I do know that anytime the finger of God writes anything, it's usually about judgment. And probably what he was doing, Jesus probably got down on his knee and he probably started writing down the sins of some of those others in the crowd. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, some of those rocks, if they could testify, would say, before we knew it, they dropped us. And got out of there as quickly as they could. And all we know is we heard a man look at this woman, this man named Jesus, and say to her, woman, where are your 
condemners now. Who is here to condemn you? And she said, there's nobody. He said, neither do I condemn you. Why? Because John chapter 3, verse 17. We love John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What about the very next verse? God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And those rocks... Those rocks would probably say if it hadn't have been for Jesus, she just got out of there by the skin of her teeth. If there's another rock I could interview, it would have to be that stone in front of Lazarus' tomb. <laughs> Woo. Let me tell you something about Lazarus. You've heard me say this before. Lazarus wasn't just dead. He wasn't just dead, dead. He wasn't just dead, dead, dead. He was dead, 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 dead. Four days he had been in that tomb. Four days that stone had been a witness to Lazarus' death. But then all of a sudden Jesus shows up. Late to some folks, but right on time for him. And he tells those people, he said, hey, that stone in front of his tomb, roll it away. Get rid of it. And you know what the people said? But Lord, he'd been dead four days. He stinks to high heaven. Jesus tells him, remove the stone. And what does he do? In a loud voice, he says, Lazarus. You say, well, why did he call him by name? Because if he'd have just said, come forth, every person that had died up until that moment would have got up out of the grave. So he had to be specific about who he's talking about. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And I believe that if that stone could testify today, that it would tell us I am an eyewitness that God can make dead things live again. Hallelujah. That God can make dead marriages live again. That God can make dead families live again. That God can make dead businesses live again. Anything that's dead in your life, all it needs is a word from the Lord and it can live again. Oh, hallelujah. When you look at that crowd that Jesus walked into or walked with as he was coming into the city of Jerusalem, it said that when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, that the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God in loud voices for the miracles. You know what a miracle is? It is a sign. It is an evidence, proof that Jesus was who he said he was, proof that Jesus came to do what he said he would do. And they are praising God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had what? Seen. In that crowd that day, there were not inanimate rocks, but there were some living stones in that crowd. Some things that God, some things that Jesus had done in their lives. And if we could interview some of those living stones, I believe Bartimaeus was there. And if you were to walk up to Bartimaeus and said, Bartimaeus, tell us, what did you see? He would say, well, that's the problem. I couldn't see. I was blind as a bat, but all of a sudden I heard that this man named Jesus was coming to town. And when I heard that he was coming to town, 
And when I heard all the commotion as he was coming into town, he said, I cried out with a loud voice, Jesus, have mercy on me. And old Bartimaeus would say, if I could testify today, I would say, he came right over to me. He laid his hands on my eyes. And after that, I could see clearly. I had not been able to see all of my life, but one touch from the master opened up my eyes. I believe that in that crowd that day was a woman who had had an issue of blood for 12 years. And she was trying her best to press through the crowd because she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I will be made whole. And folks, I believe that if we could interview that living stone today, she would say that he is a man who honors faith. And the moment that I reached out and touched the hem of his garment, he looked at me and said, your faith has made you whole. Oh, if we could just interview the stones today, they would testify. You know, when I look out across this congregation today, do you know what I see? I see witnesses. You know what I see when I look across this congregation today? I see evidence of the supernatural wonder-working power of God. Hallelujah. I see some people in this room today that's been saved. I see some people in this room today that's been delivered. I see some people in this room today that have been healed. I see some dead folks that have come back back to life. What are you waiting on? Oh, if you don't testify, the stones will cry out. Is there anybody here today that God has done something in your life? Oh, come on and give him some praise. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo, now you know why I done had church a few times by myself. If rocks could talk, they would testify. Not only that, if rocks could talk, they would praise. <laughs> they would praise. Look, look back at this story here in Joshua chapter 3. I want you to notice a word here that occurs a few different times. It says, the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle. Everybody say middle. Now, I'm not going to be able to preach a long time here because this is my message next week for Easter. My message next week is called In the Middle. Mm, you don't want to miss it, I'm telling you. You don't want to miss it. Said so the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. Joshua 4 verse 10. Now the priest who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people just as Moses had directed Joshua. And then verse 9 of Joshua 4, Joshua set up 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. Now here's, here's something that's really, really important. There were two piles of stones there were 12 stones that they would take with them to the other side of the Jordan at a place called Gilgal, and they would stack those stones there, and that would be a memorial for them to remind their children of what God had done. But Joshua says, I ain't waiting till I get over there to praise him. Right here in the middle of this raging river, 
I'm going to give him some praise. Because right in the middle of that place where the presence of God had stood, (laughs) the presence of God had been. Right there, Joshua takes 12 stones. And I believe that if those stones could talk to us today, they would say that Joshua taught us that you don't have to wait till you get over to the other side. You can praise him in the middle. In the middle of it all, you can praise him. stop, Stop waiting until you get over there when everything's already done, when everything's already finished. How many of you know that if you truly know who God is, If you truly know who Jesus is, if you truly know that he's faithful to do what he said he would do, that even when you're in the middle, when it seems like the storm is raging, and it seems like everybody, including God, has forsaken you, let me ask you something. Can you praise him in the middle? I can praise him today in the middle. Because I know that if he brought me to it, he's going to bring me through it. Hallelujah. And I know that what he used to bring me through. He's going to continue to take me through. Amen. He'll be faithful in the middle. And listen, going back to the encounter with Jesus, it says that when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples were doing what? They were joyfully praising God. I love this. In loud voices. Loud Voices. Loud voices. <laughs> For all the miracles they had seen, notice what they're doing. They're praising. But notice, they're saying, Bless us the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But then notice what they're in the middle of. They're in the middle of a bunch of Pharisees. (laughs) And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, I want you to notice something here that's really, 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 really important. What do these Pharisees call Jesus? Teacher. That's all he was to them. They refused to accept him as Messiah. They refused to accept him as the son of God. They refused to recognize him as such. They would tell you he's a good teacher, but that's all. And listen to me. If that's all you think Jesus is, no wonder you praise him like you do. Oh, I thought I'd, I thought I would hit. Mm, I thought I'd hit a spot right there. If you don't truly know who He is, then you're not going to praise Him accordingly. I can understand your praise if all you think is He's a teacher, but I'm telling you, He's more than a teacher. He is the son of the living God. He is the Messiah, the savior of the world. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. 
He is the word of God. Hallelujah. Oh, if you really know who he is, you're going to praise him. You're going to praise him. Hallelujah. 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 Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Rebuke him. Disciple. Rebuke him, Lord. Rebuke him. Ain't no sense in all this. Since in all this noise, how can you stand there and let them acknowledge that you're somebody you're not? That's basically what they're saying. But these disciples in that crowd, like Bartimaeus, or like, like the blind man that John tells us about, when they came to him, Wanting to know, how did all of this happen in your life? How was it that, 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 that you can now see? And he said, I don't really have much of an explanation. He said, the only thing I can tell you is, once I was blind. And now, I can see. So if you think you're going to shut down my praise, forget it. Can you imagine telling Lazarus in that crowd that day, shut up? Uh-uh. Not after what he did for me. No. Can you imagine that woman that was caught in the act of adultery? Somebody telling her to shut up. Uh-uh. He saved my life. Can, can, can you imagine that demoniac of Gadara? That the Bible said that he had a legion of demons on the inside of him until he had an encounter with Jesus. And there were 2,000 pigs that were out there feeding in the field. And when the demons came out of that demoniac of Gadara, they went into those pigs. So that tells us there were at least 2,000 demons in that man because they went into every one of those 2,000 pigs who immediately destroyed themselves. You want to tell me that after setting a man like that free, you're going to look at him and tell him to shut up? No, you're not going to get somebody like that to shut up. You're not going to get me to shut up because I know what God has done in my life. I know I wouldn't be who I am today. I know I wouldn't be where I am today if it hadn't been for the hand of God in my life. So I'm not gonna shut up. I'm just gonna get louder and louder and louder and louder and louder with my praise. Oh, hallelujah. Woo. <laughs> just, keep, just keep playing. Just in case you didn't know what I'm preaching good today. If rocks could talk, they would testify. If they could talk, they would praise. We used to sing an old song when I was growing up. Some of you are going to know this song. Well, I know that Jesus saved me. The very moment he forgave me, he took away my heavy burdens and he gave me peace within. Satan can't make me doubt it. It's real and I'm gonna shout it. 
I was there when it happened, and I guess I ought to know. Anybody know that song? Well, I know that Jesus saved me the very moment he forgave me. He took away my heavy burdens and gave me peace within. Hallelujah. Satan can't make me doubt it. It's real and I'm going to shout it. I was there when it happened and I guess I ought to know. Oh, yes. I was there. And that's what those rocks would say. I was there when it happened. And I guess I ought to know. One more thing, if rocks could talk, and we'll close with this. If rocks could talk, they would remember. They would remember. Listen, in Joshua chapter four, it says, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, when, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God. That pile of stones at Gilgal was to be a memorial. When your children see this pile of rocks and say, what, what's the deal with this? You tell them what God did for you when he brought you across the Jordan. You say, well, how good of a job did they do? Judges chapter two, look at this. It says, Joshua sent the people of Israel on their way and each man went to take possession of his own share of the land. This is in Judges two. As long as Joshua lived, that is as long as he was alive, the people of Israel served the Lord. And even after his death, they continued to serve the Lord as long as the leaders were alive who had seen for themselves all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. And boy, there was a generation that saw God do some amazing things when he brought them out of Egypt into their promised land. But notice what happened. That whole generation died that saw those great things of God. And the next generation did what? They forgot the Lord and what he had done for Israel. They saw it, but they didn't continue to tell it. They saw it. They experienced it, but they failed to keep it as a memory in the minds of their children and their children's children. Look, look back in Luke chapter 19, verse 37. Notice it says that this whole crowd of disciples that's praising Jesus when he comes in on Palm Sunday, he said they joyfully praised God in loud voices for all the miracles. Look at this. They had seen. 
They're not, they're not praising him for something that he's presently doing. They're, they're praising him for something he had done in their lives. This week, when I was working on and preparing this message, I just got out of my office and I started walking through this building. <laughs> and I began to think to myself, boy, if the rocks in this building could talk, what would they say? Because can, can you imagine what the rocks in this building have witnessed? This church in a couple of years is about to be 100 years old. Can you imagine what those rocks in the old building and what the rocks in this building, what, what they could remind us of? Some of you sitting here today were saved. Those rocks would say, I remember I remember that night that conviction was so strong you couldn't fight it anymore and you walked to an altar in that place and gave your heart to Jesus. If, those, if these rocks could remind, there's some of you that he would say, I remember that night you walked into church and you were so sick in your body that you probably should have been at home but you came home to church anyway expecting God to touch you and you left differently than you came. You walked in sick but you left healed by the power of God. Those rocks would probably say, remember your children that you prayed for and God answered those prayers and your kids came in and gave their heart to the Lord. Remember, remember, those rocks would say, remember that night that the Holy Spirit baptized you <laughs> with his power. I wonder sometimes, I think this, I wonder, did the nation of Israel, do you think that some of them ever went back to that rock of Horeb and said, let me tell you what God did for us here. When we were hungry, when we were thirsty, God worked a miracle and brought water out of this rock. Do you think that the, the nation of Israel that we've talked about here in Joshua chapter three and verse four, cha chapter three and chapter four, do you think that they intentionally walked their children by that pile of stones so that they could remind them of what the Lord had done for them. Do you think that that woman caught in the act of adultery, once she got her life together, ever brought her kids back to that spot and said, kiddos, right here is where it happened, where my greatest humiliation and my greatest shame ended up being the best moment of my life. Do you think Lazarus <laughs> ever took his kids, his grandkids, say, listen, we're going for a walk today and happened to go by a tomb and say, listen, you need to know something about your daddy. You need to know something about your granddaddy. You need to know something about your great-granddaddy. He spent four days dead in that tomb right there until Jesus showed up. Do we do that with our kids? Do we do that with our grandkids? I don't want the next generation or the generation after that to forget what God has done. And I know I've been a little long this morning, but that's why, and I've told you this story before, that's why 
I always took every opportunity I could with my children, even when we were on vacation out west. I took them to a little town called Kingman, Arizona, because in Kingman, Arizona, I heard my daddy tell a story about how when we were moving from Oregon back to Alabama, we got to Kingman, Arizona at a little golf gas station there in Kingman, Arizona. And my daddy emptied his pockets to fill up the gas, the car with gas. Last bit of money that he had. Didn't know how we were going to get home the rest of the way. Didn't have any food to eat whatsoever. And daddy pulled out of that golf station. And when he did, my mama looked up and saw a car pulling in and said, Melvin, that's my daddy's name, Melvin. I believe that was Gary and Brenda Holcomb that just pulled in. Daddy said, no way. What in the world would Gary and Brenda Holcomb be doing all the way out here in Kingman, Arizona? Well, come to find out they had been in California visiting family and they were on their way back home. And our paths just happened to cross in Kingman, Arizona. And it was there that God made a way where it seemed like there was no way. And God made sure that we had gas and we had food to get us back to Alabama. And so I took my kids when we were in that neck of the woods. I took my kids as close to that place as I could find. And I said, boys, and I told them that story there. And that the same God who provided for us there is the same God that will continue to provide for you and your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. Let's not let the testimonies die. Let's not let the work of God go unnoticed. But let's make sure we Remember, would you stand with me this morning? <laughs> oh, somebody give the Lord some praise in the house today. My, my oldest son, Micah, just recently moved to Colorado Springs, took a position with a church out there in Colorado Springs. And on his way to Colorado Springs, he stopped off in Wichita, Kansas. Because he said, Dad, I just wanted to be reminded of the place where you and mom stepped out by faith and accepted a position being guaranteed only $750 a month as your salary. And you stepped out in faith and you went. And God took care of us and we never had a need that went unmet. And Micah said, on my way out to Colorado Springs, he said, we spent the night in Wichita, Kansas, and we went by the old church there. He said, because we just wanted to be reminded of the faithfulness of God and that God can provide whatever it is that we need. Thank God for those memorials in our lives, for those moments in our lives that remind us Remind us of the power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the power of God. Come on and give him some praise in this room right now. Hallelujah. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So 
So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.